Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 215. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and this episode also happens to be part one of our special four-part coverage of the New York Musical Theater Festival 2008. There's tons of shows going on, and uh, we're going to be skipping the bi-weekly thing for a little bit, and we're going to go four straight weeks, starting now with nothing but nymph musicals. You're going to hear interviews with the creators, directors, performers, and hear lots of music from a lot of original musicals. So all you musicals fans, this is a a good time for you. We got a lot of shows this episode. We're going to be talking with uh, Jerusalem Syndrome, About Face, Freshly Tossed, Heaven in Your Pocket, Ubu the Pata Musical, Wood, You Can Take the Girl Out of Brooklyn, and uh, <laughs> there's got a lot of stuff here. Also, remember, tickets for the Nymph shows sometimes can go very fast, and uh, they go on sale to the general public September 1st, so you might want to mark your calendar. If you really want to know you're going to catch a few shows, you can get a great deal on the tickets by becoming a member. It doesn't cost any extra than going to see a, a few shows if you're going to see a few. So go to nymph.org, that's N-Y-M-F dot org, for more information. For all the shows in this episode, since they're all nymph shows, you can find out their specific playing times by visiting nymf.org as well, or we also have most of those dates on our show notes at broadwaybullet.com for volume 215. Well, let's not waste any time. We've got a lot of shows to hit, so let's move. On the Boards. A cautionary comedy for those travelers looking to head to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, The musical comedy Jerusalem Syndrome uh, tackles a very unique situation. And we have got the co-lyricists, co-book writers of the Jerusalem Syndrome, Lawrence Holzman and Felicia Needleman here with us to talk about their nymph show. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm doing good. It's uh, it's crazy. So, I, the first obvious question is, what is the Jerusalem show? I guess, what is the Jerusalem Syndrome and what is the show? Okay. Well, the Jerusalem Syndrome is an actual psychological phenomenon that occurs to about 200 tourists a year who go to Israel and are somehow struck by the holiness of the city and suddenly flip out and come to believe that they are God or the Messiah or a character from the Bible. And the police and security are trained to look for them. They they recognize them because most of the people take off their regular clothing and put on hotel bed sheets and walk the streets proselytizing and trying to live out their biblical figure. And the police take them to Hadassah Hospital where they are giving, given treatment for three to seven days. They're inundated with the fact that they're living in the modern world. They, um, they often bring family members to say you're not 
Moses, right. you they are Joe their, Smith from Cincinnati. Them, right, they show them their passports. Uh, they give them, they make them watch television. And within three to seven days, given the proper treatment, they generally snap out of it. And they remember what happened to them. They're a little bit embarrassed, like they got drunk at a party and danced with like a lampshade on their head or something like that. But they generally remember it as a pleasant experience. And then they go on to lead perfectly normal lives. They've been tracking them now for over 40 years, and they don't generally have any history of any mental disturbances or any particular religious intensity afterwards either, and neither did they before they came to Jerusalem. Um, in and fact, I deal with musicians a lot here in the studio, and uh, they all have a God complex a lot of the times, but... <laughs> you should up, write with them. Right. It, it usually ends up much worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, another interesting thing is that they don't really have any evidence of this in any other religious center like Rome or Mecca. Um, the closest thing that they found to it is something called airport syndrome, where they find uh, people without psychological disturbance roaming around like Kennedy or O'Hare or Heathrow for days and days, not really knowing where they are or where they belong. Right. But that's the best, the closest that the psychiatrists have come to associating it with something else. So how did this uh, syndrome turn into, ah, ha, a musical? <laughs> well, I had read an article in the New York Times about it many years ago and kind of held the idea. Um, I thought it was funny as soon as I read it. Actually, the article was written rather tongue-in-cheek. It talked about how a, a gentleman who thought he was Samson had escaped from the hospital and was, had run down to the bus stop. And a nurse from the psych ward chased after him and caught up with him at the bus stop and said to him, Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, you've got to come back to the hospital. And, of course, he wouldn't answer because he didn't think that he was Mr. Smith. And finally she gave in and broke the cardinal rule and called him by the name he thought he was. And she said, Samson, Samson, please return with me. And he docilely returned to the hospital with her. And I just thought that was great. It's screaming to be a musical. Of course, right. I think like about right. musicals because that's what I do. Right. So it is a musical comedy, of course. So well, before we kind of continue, um, maybe let's listen to one of the songs from your demo. Uh, do you want to set up this first song here? Sure. Um, okay. Th this song is called You Can Lead. Um, and it's the end of Act One. Right. Uh, and it's sung, it's led by a woman, Lynn, who thinks that she's God, who uh, it takes place in the hospital. And she goes to the man who thinks that he's Eddie, uh, Eddie, who thinks that he's Moses. Right. And he's very insecure and doesn't, is not a good leader at all, or doesn't believe he is one. That he can be. And right. she goes to convince him that it's time for him to free the people from their bondage in the hospital. It's and sung by um, Felicia Ricci and Danny Binstock and a host of others, other patients in the hospital. And, that's and I think that pretty much about it. sets it up. Yeah. It's the end of Act One. All right, let's take a listen. Pull yourself together. I'm the Lord and I picked you. Didn't you read the book? Don't you know all you can do? You can lead. You can lead. Give yourself a chance and you'll succeed. You can do it, wait and see. With a little faith in me, you'll do wonders in this world, I have no doubt. Moses, you can lead the people out. Oh God, I don't know. I want to believe you. What should I do? Here, take the master key. It opens all the rooms. Where do I start? In the beginning. In the beginning? Eve. Oh God, I'm 
sorry about the apple. I should have just listened to you. I should have had faith. Yes, indeed you should have. And now I'm afraid Moses is about to make the same mistake. What? He doesn't believe me when I say that he can help the Israelites to break free. Dear, you must appreciate the value of faith. I learned it the hard way, I'm afraid. Paradise was mine, but I lost the whole thing up. Look at what an awful mess I've made. I ruined the world, and boy, am I depressed. Listen to the Lord, she knows best. You can lead, you can lead, you can lead, you can lead. Don't shy away from what God has decreed. There's no task at all too large. Stand up tall, come on, take charge. Somewhere in you there's a bold and daring guy. Moses, you can do it if you try. You picked me. I lack good leadership qualities. Stop it. Door number two. Go on, go on. Noah, come on out. I can't swim. It's okay. The waters have receded. The land is dry once again. Ah, oh, terra firma. God, how can I ever thank you? Not now. There isn't time. Yeah, God's picked Moses here to take us all out of our bondage. But he doesn't think he can do it. Doesn't think he can do what God has chosen him for? Now how can someone question what the Lord God has said? God chose me, and did I even flinch? She said, gather two of every species on the earth. You think that those rhinos were a cinch? If God says build an ark, you say, okay. When the Lord commands, you obey. You can lead, you can lead, you can lead, you can lead. If God says you can, you can indeed. We need you to be our guide. You can find the strength inside. Listen carefully to Noah and Eve. Moses, you can shine if you believe. I'm bound to pick a road that has terrible traffic, and we won't find the Red Sea. If I were you, dear God, well, with things geographic, I would not depend on me. You know, God, I'm not doing so badly with the ark. Maybe you do want to reconsider your choice. No! Moses will lead the people out. Everybody knows that. Uh, what if I can't? What if I trip and fall into the Red Sea? Moses, do you believe in me? Yes, of course, Lord. Then go on. I'll be right here with you. When David feared Goliath, I was right there for the lad. And one, two, three, that Philistine was dead. Did John the Baptist worry that the world might think him mad? No, he had faith and so my word was spread. When Mary, that unmarried virgin, innocent and shy. <clears throat> when Mary, that unmarried virgin, innocent and shy. Discovered she was in the family way Her faith in me enabled her to hold her head up high So Moses, you must trust me when I say You can lead, you can lead, you can lead, you can lead It's common knowledge you will get us freed So stop making such a fuss, you can part the sea for us Don't just stand there looking at us like we're not Think so? Abraham, where's my Abraham? 
just a sec. He's in room 17. Sarah! Oh, Abraham, darling, I found you! I was afraid you'd look back and turn into a pillar of salt. Oh, you think I'm as stupid as your cousin Lot's wife? Can't we just go home to Hebron now? Yes, Moses is about to lead you all out of bondage. <gasps> oh, God, the guard is coming. The guard? Oh, no! <laughs> He's out cold. Great shot. You did it! You did it! You see, Moses? I can lead! You can lead! I can lead! You can lead! I guess I really am the guy you need! Come on, follow me, my friends, down there where the hallway ends! I will take you out that door! We'll be free forevermore! You I can, can lead! Take me back to Get me home to my Bathsheba. Help you me find lead. a second peacock. Help, I'm running out of water. Now I can lead. Now reunited. Could we get a lift to Hebron? You must help lead. me find a manger. You must help me find a manger. Moses, you can. I can lead. All right, so the Jerusalem Syndrome. Real, real situation. What kind of, and you read about this a while ago. Um... Did any sort of research go into this? Yes. <laughs> we've, we've since read a lot. Right. Uh, there, there are, in fact, other forms of Jerusalem syndrome. Uh, the type that we really focus on in the show mostly is what the doctors now call Jerusalem syndrome proper. Right. There are many people who go to Israel who probably already have psychiatric disturbances and believe that they're God or the Messiah, and it really, you know... And they blossoms. never snap out of it. Right. It really <laughs> blossoms when they get to the holy city and, and, right, they never snap out of it. But And that's not so funny. So no. we focus on the funny part, <laughs> the people who generally do snap out of it. Right. Um, but in addition to the reading that we've done, when I was in Israel a few years ago, I went to see the doctor who is quoted in most of the articles and to speak with him. And I, first of all, to run the idea of doing a musical comedy about this, and I, I actually asked him that question. I said, we're doing a musical comedy about this, uh, how does that sit with you? And he said, well, to tell you the truth, when you're with a patient who's under a severe psychological strain, it's a very serious matter. But if you go home and you tell your wife that there are three Virgin Marys living on the same hallway at the hospital, you have to laugh about it. So we took that as the green light. <laughs> if he had said, no, no, that's blasphemy, would you have tossed it? No, of course not. I just, <laughs> but, I just would have, you know. But the source <laughs> even thought it was funny, so... <laughs> So, uh, um, and he actually told me a couple of very interesting stories. There are actually uh, people who have gone on a three-week tour right, of Greece, Israel, and Egypt, and they spend their week in Greece sightseeing. They get to Israel. They spend their week in the psych ward, and then they go on. They snap out of it. They go on to another week of vacation in Egypt and then never have another psychological problem. He said it's happened more than once. So. Well, so who's besides yourselves? Who's the team involved with putting the show together, and how long has this kind of been in the works? The, the music is written by Kyle Rosen, and our director is Annette Joless, and we've been developing the show for a few years. Um, Lawrence and I uh, submitted the show, and we were actually won the Kleban Award for the Jerusalem Syndrome a couple of years ago. I think in two thousand six it was, and we had written the show basically the year before. So it's like about three years of development. and, and um, Of course, know. we weren't solely focusing on right. this. We have a couple of other projects, too, um, uh, one of which is a musical about Raoul Wallenberg, completely 180, you know, not funny at all. Right. Um, it's a musical drama. Right. And another is a musical review that was produced 
in 2006 called That Time of the Year. It played at the York. Right, and is now licensed. And, um, you know, so we're just... But I would say for about three years now we've been working on it. We did a reading at the York Theater back in October. That went over very well, and then we decided to put it up at the festival. festival. Yes. All right, so who are some of the cast members that are in the show? I know you got a few kind of notables. Uh, Well, we have Liz Larson uh, doing the role of Phyllis, who is a woman who um, is a Columbia University professor who goes to Israel and comes to believe that she's Sarah. Mm -hmm. And through the course of meeting a gentleman who believes that he's Abraham, uh, through a series of funny circumstances, she comes to appreciate her real husband, and it kind of, uh, through her having the Jerusalem syndrome, her own marriage is kind Restored. of healed. Right. Uh, the gentleman that she actually meets is Austin Miller, <laughs> who's um, who who will be actually singing, I think, the next song that we're doing. Okay. And um, we also have Stuart Zagnet. And Nick Verena, Alan H. Green. So it's a, it's a very good cast. It's a cast of 14. I think we actually had Nick Verena. Was Nick Verena in that time of the year? He was. He, was. he came in and sang for he Broadway did. Bullet then. He Absolutely. Did. He's great. He's great <laughs> and very funny. And we're, uh, Lauren Lataro is choreographing. Uh, so it'll be fun to actually see the show up on its feet. David Snyder is <laughs> our musical director. Right. And we've been helped a lot in this casting by Jeff Jostelson. Yes. A lot of the process, so that's been terrific. And uh, this, I know the show runs starts September 23rd through October 5th, is yes, that right? Yes, that's and correct. what theater are you guys at? We are at 37 Arts in Theater C. 37 uh, Arts, love that facility. Love it. Yes. Great space. Air conditioned. <laughs> Roomy seats. Well, it's September, so yeah. you never know. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm glad to... Uh, Lawrence Holzman, Felicia Needleman, I'm glad to have you on to talk about the Jerusalem Syndrome. We're going to roll out with the second song from your show, so do you want to set this up? Sure, this is being sung by Richard H. Blake uh, with Janet Metz, I believe. Yes. Uh, At this point in the show, the American soap star who believes that he is Abraham is desperate to fulfill his biblical covenant with God, and he sings this song to Phyllis, who thinks that she's Sarah. All right, thanks so much. When I smashed my father's idols and declared that the God of creation was the one and only ruler of the universe, supreme and all-knowing, God promised in return I'd be the father of a great and mighty nation. But that can only happen if the two of us can get some action going. So just pretend we're home in Hebron in the coziest of tents. And let's get to know each other in the biblical sense. Oh, Abraham, I'm too old to have a child. God made a covenant with me, a sacred pledge. And I have got to do my part, so duck behind that hedge. And let these patriarchal fingers trace your raging bod. It isn't for my pleasure. I'm doing it for God. Amy. Oh, 
Sarah, won't you give it the old college try? God said my seed shall number as the stars up in the sky. I know your feet are tired and your stomach's feeling odd. But sweetheart, spread your legs now. We're doing it for God. Come on, I have a headache. Headache, schmedache. How can you say no to the Lord, queasy? Please, enough already. Don't make a fuss, we have no choice. This is bigger than us. No matter how you view it, we have got to do it. So Sarah, my darling, let's get down to it. We have to make an Isaac, that's how the story goes. And you're not getting younger, so quick, take off your clothes. Stop playing hard to get my darling let down that facade. I promise it'll be divine. We're doing it for God. And we can't disappoint the Almighty this way. So Sarah, my angel, what do you say? Right. If we're doing it for God, we're doing it for God. On the boards. Musical comedy is abundant at Nymph, Shakespeare adaptations, uh, but uh, we got some great people involved in this that can separate this out from all the Shakespeare adaptations and a great composer, uh, or sorry, writer-lyricist, book writer-lyricist here with us, David Arthur, who conceived and wrote the show About Face. And he's here to talk about the show and share some of the music from it. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's always fun getting this whirlwind of shows in, and it's, uh, it's a heavy season keeping, keeping them all in order. It's uh, great for musical theater fans. Um, they're going to hear a lot of them here. Um, so first off, tell us a little bit about About Face. Well, About Face is a musical version suggested by William Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. I set it on a Northeastern college campus in 1955. And if you know Much Ado, um, Benedict in this version is Coach Benedict, Coach Bill Benedict of the football team. And Beatrice is Beatrice Stanton first woman professor at the college, English Lit. So there's all sorts of delicious animosity between athletics and academics. Very funny stuff and tuneful. And a whole stage full of very sexy, attractive, young college people romping around on a very sexually charged campus. Now, what is this issue between athletics and academics? I didn't know there was any. Uh... <laughs> I think since the beginning of time. <laughs> <laughs> I just know at my college, you know, our sports team was always going, why do those academics get so much money? They don't. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to ask you the tough question. Okay. I'm hoping it. you have an answer for this because I don't mean this to be an attack, but I figure it's an opportunity. Hit it. Go ahead. Why another Shakespeare adaptation? You know what? I, I, well, you, that's a good question. But I'll be honest with you. I think because the source material is so wonderful and delicious, I think people gravitate to these works because generally they're the, what's better written than Shakespeare? I mean, the plot lines, the, the characters. And what I like about Much Ado is that the roles of 
Benedict and Beatrice, I mean, since the show was written, people still delight in those characters and watching them gleefully go at each other. And then find out later their their students uh, set a plot in, in, in motion to make them think that their enemy is actually secretly in love with them. What's better than that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen some very good musicals, you know, on, on Shakespeare adaptation. I guess my main thing is just somehow there's so many of them actually done, you know, because it's public domain and, yeah. you know, we don't have to secure the rights to right, Legally Blonde right. to get something That's that, right. you know, people have heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, the other thing, frankly, is that um, <laughs> aside from being delicious source material, it has marquee appeal. So when people hear that it's a musical version of, say, Twelfth Night or uh, Midsummer or any of them, they already know, oh, my God, I know that story. That, that sounds like it might lend itself to music. Message received. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> That's actually quite appropriate. All right. <laughs> my, my phone is getting the message through. Yeah, and I, and I just give you a chance. And like I said, I, I, I like a lot of the Shakespeare shows. To me, the mark, to me, and I think to some other people, it's a little bit of a turnoff, which is the main reason why I wanted to let you say okay. I made the, this special. Not that I don't like the shows, but it's just like, I also hate based on a true story. I, you know, <laughs> like every time a movie announces that, I'm like, oh, God, really? Right, you're in for it. Because right. <laughs> based on a true story more often than not, it's not. It's not. They made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they just say, I made it up? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so again, the, some of the best Shakespeare adaptations that I tend to like are the ones I don't realize they are when I go in. Okay. And, and all of a sudden it just kind of dawns on me. Ah. Um, and, and then it feels clever. Well, see, me. that's sort of what About Face is because it's just suggested by the Shakespeare. Um, so the actual dialogue is not Shakespearean by any means. I may have used three or four of the actual lines from the Shakespeare. But it's just suggested by it. So all the dialogue is modern. All the the songs are golden age musical, wonderful melodic songs, but with a modern sensibility, um, written in today's musical theater. Well, speaking of that, why don't we uh, listen to the first song from your demo here? Terrific. Gonna play. Would you want to set this one up and say who's singing it? Yes, this is. <laughs> um, it, it's a song called "A Good Book," and on the recording, it's my dear friend and wonderfully talented. A person, Randy Graff, and on the recording she is playing Beatrice, and her niece is she is a, the English lit professor, and her niece, her young innocent niece, is a freshman at the college, and she very the niece asks, well, how is it that you have never never wanted to get married, and Beatrice gleefully replies in this musical moment. All right, let's take a listen. Okay. Even as a nine-year-old in a white party dress with pink ribbons in my hair, I knew my relationships with boys would always be thorny. Grade school dances sitting on a bench with my friend Clementine. No one even asked if I would like to join the conga line. At last, a boy made advances, eagerly signing up Clementine's dances. If I'd known then what I know now, I wouldn't have despaired. In weeks to come, I tried again, but this time came prepared. I brought a good book. I brought a good book. I whipped out my history text and gave it a look. 
Before the begin had begun I got through Attila the Hun And that's what it took I brought a good book Nine years old Surely you knew there were more interesting things in life than Attila the Hun Yes Dante's Inferno Next came high school like a living page from Edgar Allan Poe Every other girl did well by reading love poems to her beau Tom Blake, a hunk from New Haven, wasn't aroused when I read him The Raven He liked those cowboy movies, I liked esoteric plays He dragged me to his movies, but I loved those matinees I brought a good book I brought a good book I slipped out my Gertrude Stein And gave it a look And later at night We would part Temptations would spark in the dark We never partook Cause a book is a book is a book He sounds like a decent guy He dumped me for Angela Carpelli A dropout who worked at a truck stop She had a more, how shall I put it Generous nature Athletic college bows had no illusions. They knew my favorite exercise was jumping to conclusions. By senior year, my heart was trampled on by Ronald Reese, plus Leonard Barnes and Arthur Cleese, but never once by Warren Peace. <laughs> I almost hit the jackpot with Ben 4.0 Wilson. We both loved the Iliad and the Odyssey, but he was so jealous of the time I spent reading it. Why didn't you read it together? He couldn't read Greek. Grad school classes smarter than the men, I always made straight A's. Women as professors, men believed was just a passing phase. One man, a regular cut-up, said I should marry, have babies, and shut up. The book I brought that day I knew would put him in his place. My Oxford English Dictionary flew into his face. Now that's a good book, a practical book. Those 1,700 pages formed a left hook. As quick as a shot, he incurred the muscle of each little word. That nine-year-old wallflower learned that knowledge is power. Turn 87, I'll still believe heaven is reading in some little nook. Instead of a schnook, I'll bring a good book. Well, I know you've gotten some fantastic names to sing on your demo, and I think you got a couple pretty fantastic names in your show I as do, well. I do, I'm I do. I hear very... rumors that there's a Tony nominee in there. There is indeed. <laughs> um, I'm very, very grateful and honored that Barbara Walsh, Tony nominated for her wonderful performance in the recent revival of Company is going to play Beatrice. And Pam Myers from the original production of Company in 1970 who sang Another Hundred People is going to play this very sassy New York drama teacher that comes to the school. Great fun and a perfect role for Pam. And as Bill Benedict, uh, we have very happy to have Mark Zimmerman who recently was in the Broadway production of Catered Affair, but he was also on Broadway and on the 20th century. 
And in Brigadoon, he played Jeff in Brigadoon, if anybody remembers that. He was so funny and wonderful in that. I'm wondering how many shows of Broadway are going to have to go dark from uh, <laughs> September 15th to October 5th. Because there's a joke running around. There's a lot of rehearsal studios in this space. And somebody, right. one actor is going, I didn't even hear about Nymph. How, how, why didn't I get a chance to audition? And the other person goes, oh, you have to be on Broadway to get in that festival. Well, <laughs> you know, but also, frankly, I, I'm very, very honored because uh, I've been in the business for, for, for a long time, and through the years I've garnered some wonderful friends that I can just call up and say, listen, my musical is being done, would you like to do this role? And uh, people have been very generous with their time because it's, it's, it's a lot of rehearsal for not a lot of money, and you do it for the love of it. And uh, I have lots of Broadway babies in my cast, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> well, let's take a listen here to the second demo mm-hmm. from uh, the show. Um, right. You want to set this one up? Yes, please. Uh, this is sung by Dean Leonard. He's the dean of the college. And he is very fond of Beatrice in a very daughterly way. And he would, he would like to see her get involved with, with a man and with a love relationship. And Beatrice has been hurt many times in the past and sort of sworn off love. And he tells her, well, listen, you know, I knew someone exactly like you when I was your age. And she says, really, who? And this is his reply. All right, let's take a listen. Impossible me, immovable me. White was white and black was black to implacable me. I'd pompously proclaim that everything remains the same. But my granddad had some sound advice I'm glad to say holds true I'd like to take one little slice And pass it on to you Look again Anything can change and often does Look again and something isn't as you always thought it was That unattractive duckling may have turned into a swan The darkest night just might produce a star to wish upon Look again, every day we make a small advance Look again, each first impression ought to get a second chance A stranger may extend his hand and urge you to explore So look again, that friend may end up being something more. When a problem won't untangle, just look again from another angle. Through your different point of view, the answer is the change in you. Look again, for the world is worth another try. Again, the possibilities are endless as the sky. A whole new life you never knew is anxiously awaiting you. Look again, look again, then look again. All right, so you got some like some great people involved, and I know, for instance, the J.K. Simmons is on the demo that we you know aren't playing here today, and he 
how long has this been in development? I know you know, you know a lot of people. Well, it. like a lot of musicals, it's been in development for, it takes years. And the early uh, readings that we did, the um, I've been through, oh, several readings of the show and several, many drafts. And early on, I uh, J.K. Simmons, who now is a big movie star, uh, did... Uh, Bill Benedict, and he was terrific. And I had seen him in a show on Broadway and loved him, and that's how I got to know him, is that I called him up and I said, you know what, I just saw you in the show, and I've got this version of um, Much Ado called About Face, and Randy Graff is playing Beatrice, and he said, I'm in. (laughs) Yep. And uh, you know what, I'll tell you another story. It's uh, Betty Comden of Comden and Green, of course, when she knew that I was still, you know, I'm working a long time on this, and I thought it was, I think maybe I'd been working on it for a couple of years, and of course, was very anxious to get the show on, and Betty said, well, you know what, when Cy, Cy Coleman and I were working on Will Rogers' Follies, now these are huge, huge names, she said it took us eight years to get Will Rogers' Follies on stage. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Well, but that's like, the way it is. Like writing a Broadway show is about having a you know seven year attention span. Well, it is, and you have to. You know what? It, it, it's only for. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, you have to love it. And my collaborator on the piece, wonderful composer Jeffrey Loden, uh, we have always stuck with it and love the piece and always trying to make it better. And I think this version of it is it. I just think I'm thrilled about it. And, and I, hope, uh, I hope everybody comes to see this because I think they'll laugh and it's funny and romantic and a little, a little naughty. There's a little <laughs> mischief in it. Right. Well, I know your show is from uh, September 17th through the 24th. That's correct. Or at the, the 37 Arts Theater. Uh, I love that theater. I won't go into I have already. I've already praised them highly in another interview, but I love that. So. Oh, good. So, and uh, people can go to nymph.org uh, mm-hmm. for more information. Right. You click on full productions and then uh, about face, and you'll get the wonderful link and all this, the all these cute cast members and Barb and Mark and Pam and me and Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, David Arthur, thank you so much for coming down and and sharing, you know, your experience with the show and some of the music from About Face and best of luck. Michael, thank you very much. On the boards. Last year, Nymph presented a series freshly tossed presented by Mark Lonergan and Wendy Seib that brought uh, Nymph listeners selections of a lot of different dance pieces from different choreographers in the city and it was such success for Nymph that it is coming back again this year and so again we have brought Wendy Seib and Mark Lonergan in to talk about freshly tossed as well as some things going on in the dance scene in their lives so how's it going? Good. Great. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having us back. Yeah. yeah. Always good to have Wendy. Now you're turning into a veteran on the program. Ah, uh, yes. Is this your fourth time or third? I think it's my third. <laughs> Am I setting the record? No, no, not yet. <laughs> oh. Uh, I'll so. try. <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, so tell us a little bit about Freshly Tossed first before we get into some other stuff. Well, uh, what can we tell you? Um... It is a series where there's going to be a bunch of short works, and a lot of them happen to be choreographic works, but they're also uh, a huge part of what we do is physical comedy. So you're going to see definitely um, pieces that are set to music, obviously, with a lot of dance, a lot of physical comedy, and they have to be funny. That's just our rule and our preference, so that's kind of it. 
And also, they we really look into pieces that actually tell a story and have character. Um, so we tend to fall. I mean, not just freshly tossed, but both Mark and I, our work tends to fall in the dance world, but also in the theater world. So, you know, we're kind of pushing both of those angles because, <clears throat> sorry, it applies to sort of both audiences. I mean, that's fine. We're finding our work tends to vacillate between those two worlds, and we want to find others that sort of fall in those cracks and highlight their work, along with our own, of course. <laughs> yes. They said the works have to be funny. Do you, like, have auditions or take submissions of any sort for this? Or, or yes, we have people, people come in and we say, be funny, go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we basically draw from people whose work that we know. We keep our eyes open all year round. We're always looking for people who kind of fit the bill. Uh, and uh, We're happy to have people contact us. Oh, of course, they, yes. If people are doing this kind of work, we are thrilled to, yeah, uh, to yeah. learn about them. Um, we have one return choreographer from last year whose name is Ray Hesselink, who's brilliant. Um, plus, the two of us are showing uh, new works or works mm-hmm. that haven't been seen, certainly, by the audience that will be coming to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have... I think probably three new artists we have not worked with new before. New to us. Mm-hmm. New to us, yeah. So, um, For our second year, you know, yeah. new artists. <laughs> but we as the curators have made sure we have definitely seen the work in some way, in some capacity, before we show it to the audience. We are the gatekeepers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to make sure there's quality control, basically. Yeah, the good kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got real funny hats to wear. It's really great. So uh, do you know anything about some of the pieces that are going to be in the in the show this year? Yes. Well, we certainly know the pieces that we're going to do. <laughs> we know <laughs> one. We're taping this in advance. Just <laughs> <laughs> we know a couple of the others, too. But, Wendy, tell us, what are you going to show us this year? Um, right now I'm going to be showing a piece called Disco Magic, which is part of the group I work with that showed a piece last year called Supernovas. It's clown Mark Indick and my muse, Catherine Fragus. And... Uh, Supernovas has been a really great hit the past year around the city, which I'm really proud to say. We won a Golden Nose Award last year for it. And so we've been working on another piece. I can't not give it away. But it'll be from sort of that same, our same trio. And um, then I'm probably going to be remounting a piece called Faith which I did at Dance Break in February uh, 2008. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about you that. You want to talk a little bit more about that? But, but we can do yeah. yeah, sure. it in a second. Um, uh, yeah, it's a piece of about, it's nine dancers, and it's a woman who's going through her online profile uh, for online dating. And I sort of manifested a three-dimensional idea of how she meets these men. So each man comes on stage to a theme song, if you will. And it's all 80s music. Nice. I mean, what else do you expect from me? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, The work we're showing, we showed some excerpts at Freshly Tossed last year from this. It's called Time Step, and it is a tap comedy, basically. Uh, For your piece. Yes. These are Mark's pieces. Exactly. And um, basically, it's a story of these three tap dancers. You see them at... In their youth, you also see them in their old age. And one of the pieces we're going to show is their big finale, which is them now as older characters trying to recapture their youth. Uh, and, of course, everything goes wrong, um, but they soldier their way through it. Uh, and it's funny and silly 
and that show is going to go up. The whole show is going up at the Joy Soho in November. So this is a great opportunity for us to show some new stuff from it before we do the full production. It's a special preview. Yes. Our friend Ray Hesselink, who really is brilliant, we love mm-hmm. him, he is showing a piece, all I know about it, is that it <laughs> is about a woman who is always late. It is her wedding day. And uh, I know there's a big styrofoam cake at the end. That gives you uh, maybe a, a hint as to what kind of work that's going to be. Yeah, I'm just realizing, because disco magic is one where the the gremlins get the better of the two couple within the dance. And so now we have three pieces that uh, sort of incorporate that that's true, that's true. theme. Maybe we have a theme this year. <laughs> Unbeknownst to us, perhaps we have a theme. Um, let's come to our show where everything goes wrong. How about that? That is basically it. <laughs> The disaster show. Well, that but is comedy. Comedy, exactly. <laughs> what else is comedy? <laughs> exactly, but disasters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the fourth person we know about at this point, his name is Chris Allison. He is a brilliant That's physical comedian. I hesitate to use the word clown only because that has, you know, uh, its own connotations. But he is brilliant. And um, I, the name of his piece is Chris and His Big Balls. You can take that as you would like. It's very appropriate with freshly tossed. Yes. Oh. Exactly. I think he's referring to juggling balls. That's my impression. But I could be wrong. I don't know. (laughs) Well, that has another connotation. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry. Is this a family show? (laughs) That's right. So, uh, Wendy, you just recently participated, as you said, in in this dance break thing. Mm -hmm. And for those listeners out there who aren't familiar with it, I I was wondering if you maybe could let people know a little bit more about it. Sure, of course. Uh, Dance Break is a wonderful showcase, mainly for the Broadway industry, for up-and-coming choreographers. I believe uh, this past year was either their seventh or eighth year, and it's really the only thing of its kind that I know of. I'm sure in New York, um, and that's my world. So, <laughs> well, um, didn't Andy Blankenbuehler, who just won the Tony, just yeah. got launched out of there? And yep. and who, Chris Josh, Shrek, and the choreographer of Shrek, is that yep, right? Yep, Josh Prince was in it last year, and you know he ended up getting uh, the contract of Shrek from that. Um, I have so. a few that have come out, but the contracts are waiting to be signed. Oh, nothing um, you can but spoil. they are. I can. I can. Well, I've got my website, wendysub.com. <laughs> uh, there's more details, but there are. Um, I have about three projects coming up with uh, the Tony Award-winning director John Rando, which is very exciting. He did. Uh, he won the Tony for Year in Town. He did Wedding Singer, and uh, a couple shows that involve Harry Connick Jr. And also another one that involves David Bryan, who's the keyboardist from Bon Jovi. So right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> did you go see Bon Jovi in Madison Square Garden? I didn't. I, I didn't. did. <laughs> it was a totally kick-ass. Yeah, it was totally kick-ass. Awesome. They put on a show. Yeah, we've um, done a couple. We've done a, we just did a reading of this new piece in May, and David was there, and it's really great to, I mean, they're all great. It's really lovely to work with such a great team. And Mark, I just understand you were you got nominated for Drama Desk. Yes, excitingly, um, <laughs> the company is Parallel Exit, and uh, we this year did a, uh, one of our shows at Fifty Nine East Fifty Nine Theaters. It was called Cut to the Chase, and we were in the unique theatrical experience category, which is <laughs> kind of ex- where we all live. Exactly, it's perfect <laughs> for us. We were thrilled to be there. Um, 
And we were in the category with the 39 Steps, which, of course, is playing on Broadway. And, and which, of course, I don't really consider fitting the category. <laughs> it's I think, a, I'm sure it's a great show. but Totally. It's a play. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting choice. They do a lot of unusual things. A lot of the staging is really unusual and really physically based. So for that reason, it made sense that they were in that category. But... Um, Obviously, the fact they're on Broadway, they're still running, we kind of knew, and we were graciously thrilled to see them win. We met them the night of, and they're all great guys, and and, uh, so uh, we were just pleased to be there. I know that's a cliche, but it's true. We were just thrilled to be there. It was great. All right, so Freshly Tossed, Nymph, uh, do you know the dates yet? Yes, Mm -hmm. we are. Monday, September 22nd. We're at 7 and 9.30, and we are at the American Theater of Actors, which is 314 West 54th Street. And it's just one night. One night, two shows, that's it. That's right. Our calendar's going down. That's right. And um, we are going to be adding some other people to the roster, so by the time this So hasn't YouTube turned into TiVo of theater? (laughs) 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 Nothing like that, baby. I know. Uh, But definitely everyone should check out our... um, on the Nymph website, nymph.org, to go to Freshly Tossed. And we might be having a special celebrity guest. It's true. It's we can't tell you yet. We, uh, we wish we could. Vern Troyer? What? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Vern Troyer does anything, doesn't he? <laughs> it's Abe a, a Bugoda. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, Wendy Side, Mark Lonergan, thanks for stopping by. Thanks, and uh, best of luck. Have fun. With Freshly Tossed. Thank you so much. On the boards. Heaven in Your Pocket is a new musical comedy following the Heavenly Bells, a musical group who's trying to find their way to stardom in Nashville. Uh, It's a project that's been long in development and and unfortunately seen some collaborators uh, not see the end of the project, from what I understand. Uh, But we do have co-librettist Diane Sposito and the director, Alan Souza, here to talk about the show and uh, its journey and its unfolding at NIMPH. How are you guys doing? Well, Fine, thank you. Morning, Michael. (laughs) Morning. Well, first off, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Heaven in Your Pocket is about? Um, Heaven is, uh, I I like that you use the word journey. Um, The the Heavenly Bells is a female singing group from... um, Heaven, Oklahoma. Um, there is a Heaven, Oklahoma, and uh, fictional. The rest is all fictional, but um, it's the three gals, a mother, a daughter, and a best friend who uh, want to support the daughter going to uh, Nashville, and they take a, a de- sort of somewhat of an, a little bit of a detour to Kansas City, and uh, what happens um, consequently and subsequently um, makes up the play, so musical play. So what drew you to this project, Alan? Well, actually, I know one of the actresses who knew Mark Houston well, who's the composer, and uh, she's involved in the project. She's playing the lead, she's playing the mother. And so she asked if I would speak with Francis and with Dee, the two co-writers, about the piece when it got accepted by the nymph, and I read it and talked to them a bit and traumatized both of them, like directors <laughs> do to writers. And uh, we're here making this making this new musical. I mean, the, the nymph festival, as I'm sure you know, is, is a great forum for people to explore their works and for people to hear new musicals and get them seen and get them heard. And in this case, I think that Heaven in Your Pocket not only is a wildly entertaining piece, but it's also something you could bring your family to, which is so unlike many of the very aggressive and ambitious musicals of today, some of which I love working on. But, uh, but it's, a, it's a beautiful story about a mother and her daughter, really, and, and about uh, trying to be a good parent 
and trying to do the right thing in this makeshift version of families that we create in our lives, in addition to being a great entertainment about a girl singing group. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, before we continue, maybe we should check out one of the songs from the demo. Uh, does one of you want to set up this uh, first song we're going to play? Um, this is Make Them Want What You Got, and it uh, happens in the early part of the show. The two uh, older singers, the gals, the lounge singers, uh, Celeste and uh, Arlene, who are the lead characters, um, they give Kaylee, Arlene's daughter, a bit of a pep talk and an unusual kind of... Uh, uh, song uh, that uses the environment that they've ended up in, which is the Starlight Lounge, which is a little bit rustic. So uh, they get there and they see the state of the, the, uh, the, the lounge, and um, Kaylee, well, you'll, you'll hear it in the song. <laughs> All right, let's take a listen. across my chest. simple as that. You gotta make them want 
as we were talking before the interview started, I understand that one of the the main major collaborators ended up died before the show came to completion here? Yes, Mark Houston is, um, the late Mark Houston is the composer and lyricist for this piece, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, also uh, wrote the book, the, the first versions of the book, and uh, later on, uh, Francis Cullinan, who was uh, another um, person, uh, our collaborator, uh, he and I are, were kind of, took the project over eventually, and um, but Mark died in 1995, and as I said earlier, he left back a, a rather a substantial canon of work. And um, I worked on three, three, three separate pieces with him. This is the third piece, the third Mark Houston piece. And actually, the family and Mark Francis gave, offered it to me because they, you know, they knew I had worked with him before and knew his style, and we had good, very good collaborations earlier. So here I am, and uh, Francis and I have really kind of shepherded this piece forward um, in the last five years. Is it hard making changes and figuring out what to do with kind of literally that ghost hanging over you, wondering what he might think of what where you're taking it? That's such a good question. I never let that specter feeling come over me. It was just what's here. Uh, knowing Mark, you know, wonderful sense of humor, wonderful sense of humor. And uh, uh, Francis is a better, uh, better uh, kind of judge of the musical part of it um, than I was. So we were good in that we kind of really worked to retain the spirit of the piece and and yet still keep focusing that, you know, the photography, you know, on the camera, the focus ring. We just kept really, that was our intent. But um, And both you and Francis knew Mark. So yes, you're, personally. you're honoring, you're trying to honor what he wrote, knowing his spirit really well. I mean, ultimately, I think you try to interpret what the author's intentions were all the time even if it's Rodgers and Hammerstein. You know, if you take something and you think, what was this intention and how do I interpret this? As, as, as artists, you know, as theater artists, we are all interpretive. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I brought my, <laughs> my viewpoints in, which may have which, nothing to do with uh, having it in your pocket, but they do now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you have to believe that you're led to each other. I mean, I think that that's how you decide to collaborate on something, whether it was the earlier works that you did with Mark and, you know, his family trusted that, like mm -hmm, you said, mm -hmm. and you've known Francis, and ultimately that led to me, and everybody seemed to think I was the right fit. And so hopefully we're honoring his intentions and his... Um, vision in this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's clear, too. He left a, It's really quite good. The music is quite good, so some of it's really clear what he's trying to do character-wise with these people, and we're just sort of stretching that further, I think. Now, the music is such a country in Nashville, you know, influence with it. I'm kind of curious, in your backgrounds, have you had any experience with the Nashville <laughs> machine, so to speak? I watch, Nash I watch Nashville Star, do you? <laughs> I yeah. love me some Nashville Star. Oh, my God. You know, I, I, not, no, the answer is really no, but I did live, I lived in Colorado for five years, and... You know, I guess you kind of in the back pick that up, and uh, but nothing directly. Although I love country music now, I have a very uh, my. You should see my playlist. So did Mark have it. a background steeped in there? Or? Well, he's from Oklahoma, mm -hmm. so it was like, I, I think that you know he knew he knew the sounds of it. He was a very interesting composer, and in that it's kind of like wherever he was, he would pick up what was going on, and he did spend a great deal of time in Oklahoma. So. Um, I don't know. I, I, and country music's become sort of mainstream. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. all over the radio, so it's great that we can tell a story in a traditional musical form and incorporate that 
that style of music into it. It's wonderful. It's a nice perspective, yeah. All right, let's take a listen to a second song from the demo. Uh, Want to set this one up, Alan? Sure. It's uh, at the end of the first act, and it's the first time the lounge is opening for business, so it's the first time it's a show within a show. And uh, the mo mother character has orchestrated a little bit of trouble in her daughter's life, trying to help her out. And so the song reflects what's going on in the play. All right, well, let's take a listen. So Heaven in Your Pocket is going up with the New York Musical Theater Festival. It opens September 16th and runs to the 28th. And uh, they can find the 
wonderful schedule of the specific times and afternoons and evenings that it's right. on at the Nymph website. Uh, what, what theater are you guys playing at? The 45th Street Theater on 45th, almost at 9th Avenue. And so, and any other like kind of parting shots you want to get out here on the show? Any, Come to the show. <laughs> Bring your checkbook so it can go further if you like it. All you Nashville folks, all you country music folks, come on out. And ladies and gents and everybody and kids, bring you can bring your kids. It's squeaky clean, right? So, so far. So far in rehearsal. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so. All right. Well, thanks so much, Diane Sposito and Alan Souza. I thank you for stopping by to chat about Heaven in Your Pocket and wish you the best of luck and that um, Mark will be proud somewhere of it. Thanks. Thanks for Thanks having for us. Thanks so much. Thank you. On the boards. Alfred Jari's The Ubu Series gets the musical treatment at the Nymph Musical Theater Festival in a long in development musical, the Pata Musical, and we have uh, co-writer directors Tony Mays and Brantley Alfil here to tell us about this project and share one of the songs from the show. How are you guys doing? Hey, Michael. Doing How are well. You? Uh, you want to introduce yourselves quick so people can connect the name with the voice? Uh, Brantley Offill, that's me here. And I am Tony Mays. Welcome to my voice. <laughs> All right. So first things first, what is Pata Musical? Uh, well, there are, as you said, Alfred Jarry, who is kind of the father of absurdist theater, wrote a little play called Ubu King in about 1898 in Paris, and it caused an uproar and kind of became a classic at the same time. And he wrote two other plays in the Ubu series, Ubu Cuckolded and Ubu Enchained. And uh, we've kind of taken all three, along with our third writer, uh, Monty Holloman, and made a full-length musical with kind of combining the stories of all three. Where does Sit Ubu Sit fit in on that? <laughs> that actually, he actually is named after Pa Ubu. <laughs> Uh, I think that was Ubu Productions, and that was the mid-70s. Yeah. And I don't exactly remember where they, um, uh, how they got created, but they, um, <laughs> they just uh, took the, uh, the Ubu and Uber, I guess, theory and, and used it as the name of their production company. So how long have you two been working on this show? Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Um, the first um, sort of collaborate uh, the first um what would you call it version version of this was what in 95 i guess 1995 and that was uh, actually a short one act with all three plays put together and then um it went away for a little while and uh, monty holloman uh produced or, or wrote a um a full-length play with all three of these sort of squished together and the uh, the original play was underscored, and through that, songs developed. And um, again, he, he worked on it day and night for about two years. And uh, in about 1998, 99, uh, he gave it to me as an exercise. He was um, uh, a great writer, and he gave it to me as an exercise to work on and see what I thought. And I had moved to New York and was uh, trying to produce. And uh, so we did a couple of rewrites together to trim it up and just see how what my take was. And uh, then Brantley uh, came into the picture, and we've known each other since we were, what, 14 years old, yeah. somewhere in that world, so a long time. And uh, we uh, began to write on it write, uh, on it together. And um, I guess, so what, that's... 2001, almost... we kind of arrived at the script where it is now, and then it's just been, well, you know, life gets in the way. I'm a commercial producer, and Tony's a tap dancer, and you got to... You put certain things on the back shelf for a bit. So here we are with it again. Yeah. 
All right, well, before we continue, uh, I know you brought a demo with you that's 12 years old. I it is 12 yeah. years old. To really illustrate the thing, you want to set up the song at all? This is, um, there are three characters that uh, Ubu, Pa Ubu, owns called the Paljantents uh, that are, in our version at least, these giant kind of almost like his henchmen, uh, 10 feet tall, very proper cockney lads. And uh, they're all being, they're coming on in this song to... Uh, just about to kill uh, a character called Mr. Acris. So this is their kind of, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do. And like you said, this this demo is the original recordings of when Monty first developed, you know, instrumental into songs and said, hey, I should lay these down. So these are old friends of ours from, from high school and beyond from 1996. All right. Let's take a listen. Thank you. Hi. is going to be a reading, and it's one day. They've got two chances to catch it, correct? Yep. September 16th, uh, 4.30 and 8 p.m. at 37 Arts Theater C. So why do you think it's taken... Uh, there have been a lot of things with Alfred Jarry, and we haven't seen the Ubu thing done. Why do you think it's kind of take been so hard to get you know this kind of project moving? Well, that's a that's a big question. Too. <laughs> that's loaded. I don't know. Somebody tell me. <laughs> um, actually, I think that the, the 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 Ubu King play is done quite often, actually, and I think that a lot of people don't see the other two. Uh, they're not familiar with that work, and I think that um, sometimes uh, combining three plays and then it becoming a musical is it's just it's a lot to bite off. And we'll find out with Shrek too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but I, I think Shrek, Ubu, yeah. um, I think that uh, it's just one of those things. I think Brantley said it very well that life sort of got in the way, and it it wasn't uh, a priority for a long time. And we've sort of come back to it, 
and we're different we're at different places in our lives and we have the time and now I think a little bit more experience to know how to shop something properly uh, know how to get it done in, 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 a, in a relatively um, fair amount of time and I think that's that's really helping us in this process and I think a lot of people are looking for something new to, to, to listen to and to absorb wouldn't that be kind of accurate yeah no it really is a bizarre show and I think as you hear in the and the demo song, it's like this kind of fun vaudevillian thing with a weird edge. So mm-hmm. it's, I always describe the whole show as if Chuck Jones dropped acid and decided to make a Looney Tunes version of Macbeth. That's kind of how our show looks and feels. So just to kind of cap this off, what drew both of you to Alfred Jarry's works in the, in the first place? I guess it's Monty. It was Monty, yeah. Monty was kind of a big influence on both of us theatrically on kind of... He introduced us to C.P. Taylor and Peter Barnes and even kind of introduced us to edgy ways to do Shakespeare. And so he introduced Jari to us, and by the time he had done so, he had already planted that weird seed in our head. So we just said, oh, heck yeah, let's play with this. And because Brantley and I both were actors um, as teenagers, and so um, doing things traditionally just wasn't Monty's way, and that sort of was our influence. Um, and his background is is just... Uh, a myriad of different experiences so it just spilled over to us alright well I wish you luck with your readings here you. the member people only two times to catch it on the 16th of September and what theater are you at? 37 Arts uh, right. Theater C 37 Arts Theater C alright well Tony Mays and Brantley Alfil thanks so much for coming down well thank you and best of luck thanks, thanks so much on the boards a retelling of Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream set in the small town of Normal Anywhere is the subject of Wood, a new musical playing at Nymph, and we have got the director Thomas Caruso and the composer Julianne Wick Davis here with us to discuss exactly why Normal Anywhere is Normal Anywhere. <laughs> Actually, it's not normal. Anywhere. Right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Wood. Well, Wood is, um, like you mentioned, it's a reimagining of a Midsummer Night's Dream, but we kind of like to consider that a springboard for the story um, because it's not a parallel adaptation of the story. But it takes place modern day, a small conservative town called Normal Anywhere, and where our young antagonist uh, takes everyone into the wood. They follow him into the wood as he is searching for the thing that he thinks is missing in his life. And he's searching for answers. And uh, the whole town ends up there. And they have a night of craziness and uh, fun and sex and mayhem <laughs> and all that sort of thing. And you say sex like, should I say it? <laughs> I we always say it a lot in this show. Yes, so. we do, in many different ways. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's crazy and fun, and it has heart, and it has a wonderful message, and these people, these characters go into the wood and discover who they are and the importance of being true to who they are. And, uh, and what I love so much about it, too, is it's so kind of magical and whimsical and uh, just already the humor in naming a town normal anywhere, which in this day and age, I think... Uh, 
you know, we, where every town has a Gap, every town has a Starbucks, every town has everything you need in this tiny little, like, snow globe, you know, bubble. I think so often people think, well, I don't need anything else. This is good, and this is how I should live my life. And then all of a sudden, something happens where... Uh, you know, whether it's about sexual identity, whether it's about you leave the town and you discover somewhere else and you say, oh, my God, I had no idea there was all this other stuff out there. There's a Starbucks in another corner. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but I think it's like all those times when you're saying, you know, people are telling us, OK, you know, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And, you know, in every society, the idea of what role fear plays and telling us, um, you know, you don't have to go there. You don't have to leave here because... You have everything you need right here. It's dangerous out there. Don't move to New York. Don't, you know, move to a big city. Stay in this nice, safe town. Um, and uh, in reality, what's fun in this musical is they go to the wood and they encounter these three fairies, which similar to Midsummer Night's Dream, these fairies are shapeshifters, except in our story, the three fairies are three kind of gay iconographic types. There's a bear, there's the twink, and there's down low. And they're the kind of guys that lead us into the wood and take these really, quote unquote, normal people, this mom, this dad, this kid and his friends who are very straight laced and really, really stir the pot and make them acknowledge that there's more to life and um, who they are sexually and as human beings. And it's it's uh, ends up being a lot of fun. That's very beautifully put. Tom. Oh, Julianne, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sensing that now's a good time to play one of the songs from your demo for the show. Do you want to set up this first song we're going to play? Sure. The first one is Come In, and it's the first time that we truly see the fairies in the wood. Um, they're bursting out of the stalls, and, when we, and this is where we learn about um, these, these icons, uh, the Twink Bear and Down Low, and learn something about them, and also kind of get a sense of what their role is going to be in the show. All right. Let's take a listen. Again. 
And if we ever meet again, shh, we never met. No, 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 we never met. No, 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 we never met. No, 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 we never. All right, so Julianne, you, uh, before the interview, mentioned that you're originally from Texas. Correct. Uh, burgeoning liberal place. <laughs> yeah, please don't hold it against me. <laughs> Did, how, much that from... how much of that influenced, you know, getting involved in writing the show and, and your take on the show as a composer? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of interesting because the idea of doing this story kind of came from uh, where I recently moved from, and I hope that nobody's going to be listening to this from this community, but um, it's a very small, conservative, um, Bible Belt kind of town, um, and there was a wood in this town, or still is, and that is where people would go, and they... You know, they were from all walks of life, but they weren't being honest with themselves and the community, but that is where they would go. So and there was no gay cruise bar, there was a gay cruise wood. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> correct. It's and like when George Michael was caught in that public bathroom. Exactly, thing. it's very similar, actually. But um, it, It's sad and funny at the same time. Mm -hmm. sad, and terribly sad, but yes, there is humor to that. But it, I found it so fascinating. And also that, that there were, you know, that people just felt like they could not be honest about who they were. And um, then I came to New York, um, not just like right after that realization, <laughs> but um, came to New York and... Started to write this musical with my collaborator, Dan Collins, who wrote the book and lyrics. And actually, we met at NYU's graduate musical theater writing program. And in the first year, um, we collaborate on a, um, on a whole different kinds of assignments. But the one that Dan and I did together was to write um, a song about an ensemble and a community of people that we knew. And so Dan and I started talking about this. And I told him about how I, I had always been fascinated with this. And so we decided to write something. And then from there, Dan and I ended up working on our full-length musical in our second year together. And we decided to revisit this idea. And and then as we started to kind of think of the structure, we also then decided to put it into kind of this Midsummer Night's Dream adaptation, um, kind of, you know, tipping our hat towards Shakespeare, but not making it a, a through adaptation. And it just seemed to work perfectly, especially with the whole themes of sex and the kind of antics of confusing people for other people, disguising themselves, that sort of thing. It just seemed to fit so perfectly. And um, so that's how that all came about. All right. Well, we got another song here from the demo. Uh, you want to set this one up before we play? Sure. This is... Uh, Herman's song called I'm Out that uh, he sings at a point, this is right before he decides to go into the wood. This is his uh, kind of I want song where he is trying to decide on what love really is and uh, that it's not something that he is observing in his mother and father's relationship. So he wants to see what really is out there. All right, let's take this. Mom's downstairs I hear her slippers on the kitchen tile She'll be waiting for Dad for a while 
worried cause it's supposed to storm And all she has to keep her warm are bunny slippers on her feet She's watching headlights on the street If that's what love's about, I'm out Luke's at home, punctuation posing as a smile it's the closest we've come in a while The blinking cursor on the screen Can't say the things I really mean I'm getting kind of bored of this A monitor's no fun to kiss If that's what love's about I'm out I wanna be on top of something warmer Than a kitchen floor at night Hotter than a screen lit up with frozen light I'm going for the fire And I won't retreat I'm off like a, off like a, off like a missile after heat I'm on the move Sure, it's never really been my style But you gotta lose your head once in a while Sorry, Mom, I've had my fill of rules and lies and sitting still. Cause I just want to be somewhere that love can breathe the open air. So look out in the wood tonight. Cause I'm there. I'm out. I'm out. So, Thomas, yeah, uh, you are originally a Bostonian, although today you're looking a bit like the Marlboro man. <laughs> I, I, I pegged you more from out west as well. Right. <laughs> gay cowboy thing going on. Yes. Uh, what's um, kind of your background as a director, and how did you come to be attached to uh, Wood here? Well, uh, I, uh, when I moved to New York, I spent a few summers at Williamstown Theater Festival and did all the directing internships and fellowships, and then I came here and was fortunate enough to really get into working on new material and working with new writers and new composers, and I found that to be the most interesting uh, for me because I thought, you know, we have there's so many classics we see today on Broadway from 50 years ago, but what are going to be the new classics? And I think I was always in search of that. I thought it was almost always more fun to kind of pioneer a new work and discover how it works like a puzzle than uh, necessarily looking at something like a revival and wanting to do that instead. And I feel what's really been great with this project and with Wood and meeting up with Dan and Julianne uh, through this theater company, the New York Theater Barn, and Emily Miller, who are you know producing Wood for us. We did a reading of it back in June, and uh, what we've been really fortunate about is just the you know the top shelf talent we've got for this show, including Katie Huffman, who won the Tony for Ula and the Producers, who's helming this piece, and uh, Jason Michael Snow, and um, Joe Cassidy, and just a fantastic group of performers from um, all different Broadway shows who have come together and, and really believe in this piece and say, we want to bring it to life, and we want to do something brand new and put our mark on it and create these, these characters. And uh, it's been fun having Julianne and Dan in a rehearsal to really kind of develop and uh, change things and, you know, use the actor's input to really... You know, so they could really make it their own. You know. Yeah, that's one of the things that's been so enjoyable about this and working on a new piece and then having these incredible 
actors come in and take the characters and then you learn so much more about them and then it becomes this great collaboration and uh, it really does make this, the piece stronger. All right. Well, I know that the show is playing at Nymph uh, from September 15th to the 28th, and they can go to the Nymph website to find all the specific interesting time schedules on that. Um, Do you have a website of your own for the show as well? There is uh, woodthemusical.com, and it has all information about everything with uh, Nymph and then some additional things, too. All right. And what theater are you guys playing at? We're at the TBG Theater, the Barrow Group Theater on 36th Street and 8th Avenue. All right. Well, congratulations. Uh, look forward to the show and wish you the best as you proceed forward through the festival. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thanks. On the boards. A one-night-only autobiographical musical review will be taking place at Nymph on September 26th, and we have the star and the subject of that autobiography, Susan Collins, here with us, along with uh, co-writer-producer Andy Kaplow, who I believe also happens to be... uh, Mr. Susan Collins? Mr. Susan Collins, yes. How are the two of you doing today? We're doing good. We're great. We're doing very well. How are you doing? Always busy. Cyberspace is a good place to be. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's kind of, the very first thing out of the way is the show is called You uh, Can Take the Girl Out of Brooklyn. Or, sorry, you, yeah, You Can Take the Girl Out of Brooklyn. But you can't take Brooklyn out of the girl. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. And, and um, so uh, tell us a little bit about what the show's about here, <laughs> which I guess gets into a little bit of a, your life story here. <laughs> the show is about growing up in the Glenwood Projects, uh, basically suffering from ADD undiagnosed at the time. You know, in the 50s, we didn't have any of that stuff. And the only thing that grabs, that grabs, grab mm-hmm. my attention was music. And I had gone to this Frank's Pizza Place across the street, my mother gave me a quarter, and I would get a slice and a Coke for 20 cents. And I had a nickel left over to play the jukebox. And I heard this song, Be My Baby, and I played it over and over and over again. And when I found out that I could play six songs for a quarter, I never got the pizza and the soda again. And I would play it and play it. And these, these guys that I referred to, because I was 12, came in. And I, you referred I, to them as the big boys. I called them the big boys, yeah. you know, leather jackets, older teenagers. And they were the guys that sang around the projects a cappella. And one of them, this guy Vito, came up to me. I was at the jukebox holding on, looking at my reflection in the glass, you know, singing Be My Baby. And he said, you know, you're pretty good. You want to sing with us? So, of course, I said, of course I want to sing with you. And we started singing on the street corners and the stairwells when it was cold in the project for Echo. But they always made me sing these boy songs because they didn't sing girl songs, you know. So I grew up singing the Duke of Earl, you know, Teenager in Love and the Still of the Night. And when I finally heard uh, Dusty's version of You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, I said, that's it. I I can't do this anymore. And they were still there. You know, years were going by. And one of them had told me that Be My Baby was written by Ellie Greenwich, E. Greenwich, J. Barry, and P. Spector, and that E stood for Ellie. So I had heard about this place, Greenwich Village, and at 14 and a half, you know, I stuck out my thumb on the Belt Parkway and I cut school, and I went looking for Ellie in her village. <laughs> I never found her. <laughs> 
But I found the Café Wa, where uh, they had open mic day and night. And I started singing, and this guy came up to me who was a phenomenal, the, the, the greatest guitar player I ever heard. And at this point, I was like 15, 15 and a half, and he said, man, you are really good. You, you know, you want to sing with us? Of course, I said, sure, I want to sing with you. And I started doing some leads in this band, and, and then he left, you know, and he went to England, and I couldn't go because I was underage. And he took his surname back. His, his band was called Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. I was a blue flame. I was the big light of the blue flames. And he took back his surname, and he was Jimi Hendrix. And that was my first real introduction on a professional level. And then what happened was these guys came in uh, a couple of years later, like a year and a half later, and they came in and... And they sat and they listened and they came up to me, very scary looking guys. One guy had long salt and pepper hair and the other guy just looked like a freak, you know, <laughs> even freakier than the other guy. And they said, we're on, you know, we're halfway into our tour, but we have a big entourage. You want to sing with us? And I said, okay. And it was Leon Russell and Joe Cocker. So that was my first real introduction to being on the road. Uh, and then... It just all took off from there. I was, and you've done lots of things. You've written, co-written, performed yes. leads, sung background. You've kind of done the gamut. I was the duet queen. <laughs> I was the duet queen. I did a lot of duets and sang with everybody. And, and I, but I really wanted to be a songwriter. That's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to write a song like Be My Baby. But everything that I wrote was always, you know, very heartfelt wishes on my sleeve, you know, very emotional. And my first, I, I was brought up to Donnie Kirshner's office by Paul Schaefer. And he gave me my first publishing deal. And then it kind of all, you know, snowballed from there. <laughs> well, I know we got a couple uh, performances here of, uh, that you've recorded at another place from, of songs from the show. You can right. take the girl out of Brooklyn. Do you want to set up anything about sure. this first one we're going to play? Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to just say, yeah, you know, this, this show really uh, is coming out of the fact that, uh, you know, Susie had a very interesting story, um, you know, her whole career arc. And uh, over the years, we would always, you know, hear these stories piecemeal coming out. And, you know, various friends of ours, both in and out of the business, would say, wow, you know, you really should, you know, collect everything together. People really want to hear about this. And one of our friends is Wendy Fetterman, who is the producer of uh, Passing Strange and November. And she got into a situation at the Bergen Pack in Englewood, New Jersey, right near where we live, and said, look, that's it. You're, you're going into this room. Uh, here's a deadline. And Susie said, you know, wh what are you talking about? I don't have a show. And she said, you have a show. Just get up there and do it. And it's, that was a, a, little, a little less than a year ago. And it really has, has taken off beautifully since then with a lot of, you know, people coming out and checking things out. And one of the, one of the things that happened was... Um, you know, that uh, uh, Susie's friend Ellie Greenwich, you know, who is the writer of so many classic songs, including Be My Baby, which was so important to her as a kid, as well as Leader of the Pack and Da Do Run Run and... Do uh, I Diddy, Chapel of Love, River Deep Mountain High. Right. I Can Hear Music by the Beach Boys. I mean, just rock and roll history. So Ellie, when she heard that Susie was doing this, putting her show together, said, OK, we're going to write a song together. 
And so they wrote a song called You Can Take the Girl Out of Brooklyn. And that is uh, the theme of this show. So this upcoming performance on the 26th of September at the Cutting Room in New York as part of Nymph is really just sort of the, you know, the next step in our putting it together. Musically, it's very together, but we're working a lot on, on theatricalizing it and making the stories a lot more you know, dramatic in their presentation. And uh, so we, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful time. You know, everybody's very happy when they walk out of there. So we'd love for people to hear it. So these recordings that we brought today are from some previous shows that, uh, that Susie had done with her, her orchestra. And so should we play the one that we were just talking about that you wrote? Sure. So you can take the girl out of Brooklyn, title song? Yeah. Here? All right, let's take a listen.
So what was it like for you revisiting your career? Which you stepped back from the music industry for a while. Right? Yeah, I did. I did. I had uh, I had done a couple of solo albums, um, and there was a record company executive who shall remain nameless. <laughs> uh, who really, I wouldn't sign with him as a manager. He was a manager at the time, and he was really outraged, like the nerve of me that I wouldn't sign with him, you know. So he took my voice off my first album after I worked on it for a year and a half. And then uh, he became the president of another label that I ended up, and he said, you'll never work in this business again. And I got a deal in spite of him for my second record. And he, you know, became the president of that label for a very short time. And at an A&R meeting, they were playing up-and-coming releases. And he said, I know that voice. <laughs> I'm not, and he squashed that record. So after that, I, I really, frankly, had enough, you know. And uh, I, I stepped back. I got married. I had a, a wonderful child who's now going to be 16, who's really talented. And, uh, you know, when Wendy came to me and said, you know, you're doing this show, I was... Okay, you know, and, and, and it all has come into fruition from that one show, you know. And, uh, you know, he, he may have taken and squashed my spirit for a while, but I realized that, you know, he, he couldn't take my voice away. And now I really have the spirit back. The spirit moves me. <laughs> you know, it's so funny being married to Susie because we'll, we'll be riding around in the car and, you know, Todd Rundgren's Hello, It's Me comes on the air and, uh, and she'll say, oh, I'm on this tune. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're on Hello, It's Me? Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, that's, that's me singing, you know, in duet with Todd Rundgren, like one of the biggest hits ever, you know? She's on all the Electric Light Orchestra's biggest hits, uh, Strange Magic and Evil Woman. One uh, Summer Dream. And, you know, Evil Woman now, it's so funny. It, you know, she did so many sessions for so many bands over the years. But now, you know, we see in the news, uh, Evil Woman, the original recording, has been remixed with her tracks out front, which were originally background tracks, mm -hmm. and are featured heavily now in uh, Rockstar Games' Grand Theft Auto 4, which is the biggest selling video game of all time. And you know, seven hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that and that session. Did you going to see any of that after that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see some of it. But it was a union uh, session, thank God. But it was like one session from over thirty years ago, and it's like it's the top of the market already, you know. So the thing is that, and you know, she was with Kiss. Uh, she had she was did New York Groove, uh, sang with all kinds of people in all in all kinds of aspects of the business. Um, and now she really sounds better than ever. So artistically, see, but the thing about it that I explain to Andy all the time is that you know when I did this stuff, you don't realize when you, you're making history when you're making it because it's not history yet. <laughs> you know, you don't know that like you know doing all these sessions, you know, would be like the hippest thing around thirty years later. <laughs> You know, it's really unbelievable. I mean, you know, now when people do these sessions, you know, they negotiate for video rights and all this stuff and movie rights. This stuff didn't exist when we did these songs. We just went in and did them and had fun. Right. 
<laughs> you know, the other thing, too, um, you know, just to give you a, an example, like, you know, you mentioned Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix wasn't Jimi Hendrix. Jimi, Jimi Hendrix was Jimi James. You know, it was just, it just happened to be the first band she was ever in, you know? Who knew? So years later, with Richie Havens, um, who Susie was associated with from the same time at the Café Wa, you know, they helicoptered in uh, to Woodstock together. You know, and had this, uh, you know, intending to have this reunion with um, Jimmy James, who is now Jimi Hendrix doing the, Sp- the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, and, 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 you know, Andy and I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go to the Woodstock Museum in Bethel, New York. And as we were walking through, you know, I said to him, you know, you got to understand, because I left Woodstock in a helicopter two hours or so mm. later, because the second I got off the, the helicopter, this crazy-looking guy walked up to us and said, don't drink anything. <laughs> don't eat anything. Don't drink the punch. That's what he said. He said, don't drink the punch. Don't drink anything. And I looked at Richie. I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> I am so gone. All right. So it sounds like there's a lot to hear on the show. It's the September 26th at the Cutting Room. Yes. Correct. And so it's one show only, and the cutting room's not a super large place, so people should probably get their tickets quickly oh, yeah. here for that. Yeah, we have, we have a website set up on SmartTix, uh, S-M-A-R-T-T-I-X. So if you go on there and you search for either Susan Collins or you can take the girl out of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. O-U-T-T-A, uh, mm-hmm. you'll be able to buy tickets in advance because the cutting room doesn't sell tickets in advance. Yeah. All right, so Susan Collins, Andy Caplo, I thank you so much for coming by and chatting with the show. We're gonna roll out with a little one more of the songs from the show. Great. Uh, uh, do you want to? Is this this one's "Be My Baby"? Is that right? Mm-hmm. They were just talking about. So, and this was recorded at a co- earlier concert version of yeah, the show. Yeah, at the Cutting Room, twenty sixth between Sixth and Broadway. No, 24th Street. 24th It's on September 26th. Oh. <laughs> See that? There I go. And just just give me a song. I'll remember the it's whole the thing. It's the dyslexia kicking I'll in. remember the whole thing. You know, we should just plug really quickly that Susie's music director is Ed Alstrom, who is, uh, was the uh, uh, conductor on Broadway of Hairspray and who plays the organ uh, on the weekends at Yankee Stadium. And she has fantastic backup singers. Uh, Ula Hedwig, who was an original harlot with Bette Midler and was in uh, the, cast, the cast of the original production of Hair on Broadway, is one, is one of the background singers. And Angela Capelli, whose credits are everybody from Mick Jagger and Justin Timberlake and on and on. And her daughter, Angela's daughter, Katie Spencer, who is a veteran of the music business and was with Jesse McCartney mm-hmm. and who's like just out of college. So we have the, the transgenerational music all right. Well, best of luck with your show, and thanks, thanks so much, much for coming Mike. Out and chatting. Here's Thank you. Be my baby. The night we met, I knew I needed you so. Curtain call.
Well, that wraps up this episode, volume 215. There are a couple of regular things missing, uh, the call board and top of the trades, mainly because I have been incredibly, incredibly busy the past few weeks getting ready for the Nymph series and uh, interviewing tons and tons of shows. I've actually already got all, almost all the first three episodes here in the can. So... Um, I just didn't have quite time to research all the news. <laughs> but uh, we got a lot of great stuff coming up for you in the following weeks, including next week we have our first Oscar winner on the show who's involved with Nymph. Uh, you'll have to tune in next week to find out who that is. Also, uh, Ken Davenport was on the road and unable to do the producer's perspective this week, but he will be back, I believe, with some insights into the whole festival thing. So uh, if this is your first time tuning in, well, thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and I'll see you again next week. Actually, the barfait thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler. So it didn't take much, though, when he um, proposed. I said yes. It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. things with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.